In studying the passage and contemplating the passage, I have entitled this morning's message, A Time to Remember and a Time to Refocus. I want to remind us as we come into the last chapter of the book of Titus of the environments, because I think you'll see some similarities to even our world today in the 21st century. The environment that uh, Paul and Titus we're dealing with was that in this particular case the believers were living on an island the island of Crete off the coast of Turkey off the coast of Greece and you would think that being in an island isolated from the mainland that things would be a little easier however turn with me to chapter 1 verse 12 let me remind us of a few things in chapter 1 and verse 12, we find out that there in the island of Crete, the believers that were there were living in a place in which it had this reputation. Verse 12, one of themselves, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars. They were living in an environment in which the people were known as liars. They were known, as he goes on, as evil beasts. Now, I've expounded on this text, but this is just a reminder. Their environment around them was a bunch of liars, brutality, lazy gluttons, never willing to work, always complaining, and yet filling their face, if you will. Lazy gluttons. That's the reputation on this island of these people. That's not the end of it. Verse 14. We find in verse 14, not paying attention to Jewish myths and commandments of men who turn from the truth. They were people not intending on following the truth. They weren't really concerned for truth. They might have talked about it, but they were more concerned for myths, Jewish traditions, commandments of men. And they were living in an environment in which people were lazy, liars, evil. And not only all of that, we find out that while they talk about truth, they really weren't interested in truth. They were interested in myths. They were interested in traditions. We could summarize it as we have in studying it. They were, as believers, in the midst of ungodly, unsubmissive, self-centered, lazy people. That was the environment. That's, I didn't make that up. That's what Paul says was the environment. And to top that off, you come to verse 16 that we studied in chapter 1, and we find out that there was more to it. They professed to know God... But their deeds, by their deeds, they denied him, being detestable and disobedient, worthless for any good deed. In the midst of them, there were professing believers who were unbelievers in reality and false teachers who said that they knew God, but their whole life was detestable. There was no result seen in the life. They were talk, no action. That's the environment that these believers were living in. 
They were surrounded by this on the island of Crete, and many of them were new believers. Now, their expectations, as we've studied a little bit and looked at it, was probably somewhat similar to what we might have. Does that sound like a world that we're living in, a world of liars, a world of gluttons, a world of evil, a world of ungodliness, unsubmissiveness, false teachers, false professions of faith? I think it is. It hasn't changed. But what was the perspective of the believers living in there? First of all, the part of the perspective could have been something like ours is, and that is that the unbelievers should change. We need to change this environment and so there's no longer liars and there's no longer gluttony and there's no longer false professions. And if we change it, things will be different. Really? Or it could be that they would look at the society on the island of Crete and see, you know what? They're terrible. They're sinners. I can't stand this environment. Have you ever felt that way? I just wish I could get out of it. The world's getting worse and worse. You ever have that conversation at work or with your peers? What is going on in the world? It's getting worse. It's getting worse. And, and sin's becoming terrible. And we want to get things better. Or, as was the case with some of them, rather than even looking at it that way, they were looking at the fact that, well, let's just adapt the culture. It makes it easy. And in case you don't think so, if you've been with us in the study, that's why Paul's addressing this with Titus. Just adapt the culture. Look, we're waiting for heaven. Just blend in survival of the fittest, survive life now, and wait for God to return, and everything will be fine. They had lost focus of some things. They had lost focus of the reality that Folks, we need to get this, that the world that we're living in, we're not on the island of Crete. All of us in this room are in the United States of America. And that is a picture of some of the things also that is going on in the United States of America. And believers can lose focus. How? They can forget that the unbelievers are dead. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2 for a minute. I want to remind us of these things. Say, what relevance? Stay with me. Ephesians chapter 2. And this will relate to something I'll say later. In verse 1. And you, he's talking to the believers at Ephesus, were dead in your trespasses and sins. An unbeliever is dead in their trespasses and sins. They cannot change without God. The United States of America cannot change unless the people are changed. It cannot change unless one at a time hearts are changed. Forget about the environment. They will always be liars. They will always be glutton. They will always be self-centered. And there will always be many people that profess to know God who don't know God and their lives prove they don't know God. And yet sometimes we want to change the environment. The unbeliever is under the bondage of sin. Secondly, go with me to Galatians chapter 5. 
here on the island of Crete, these believers needed to realize and recognize that that is the condition of the unbeliever. And they as believers are involved in a struggle. You and I today in this room, we are involved in a struggle. And if you don't think so, you're already defeated. Why? Galatians chapter 5, verse 17. Now, in verse 16, it says, But I say, walk in the Spirit, you will not carry out the deeds of the flesh. Why? Here's the reason why. For the flesh, that is our flesh, we are still in this body, sets his desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. What is that saying? You know the passage well. But the believers on the island of Crete were facing the same thing. Even though they professed to know Christ and they did know Christ, they were still living in this body and the body is pulling away, pulling them back to want to sin. And that is true for you and I. Every day we have this struggle. And we need to remember, according to Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6, I won't turn to that one, but according to Philippians chapter 1, what God has begun he will perfect. But that won't happen until the day of Jesus Christ. He is still working on Pastor Dan. You all know that. You wish he was working on me faster. He is also working on you, unless you're dead. And it hasn't been completed yet. What does that mean? God is still working. That struggle is still there. And what they lost focus on, now go to Philippians chapter 2, and then we'll go right back to Titus. You see, they were in that environment. They had a flesh still, even though they were believers. <coughs> and what were they to do? Well, here it is. This is Philippians now, but I want you to see, and I've gone back purposely because Ephesus was that way. Now Philippians were in the same way, even though that church is known as a very good church, full of joy. They had their problems as well. But I want you to notice Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 through verse 16. So then, my beloved. Just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, the Apostle Paul says, but now much more in my absence. I'm not there anymore. Work out your own salvation. He's not talking about it, and we'll come to this, about them obtaining salvation. Work it out. How? With fear and trembling. Why? For it is God who is at work in you. If you're a believer here today, God is still working in us, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God's not done with us. God's still working on us. And then he says this, do all things without grumbling and disputing so that you will prove. Watch this. How is it that you prove that you really belong to God and that you're living the way you should? By not complaining, disputing, or grumbling. And as a side trip, I will say this out loud. I believe the biggest destructive force to the church of Jesus Christ, starting at Corinth 
and going through every New Testament church, and it's true today, people say, is there sin in the camp? It's called grumbling, and it's called complaining. Not by my words. He says, if you don't have that, you're blameless and you're innocent, children of God, verse 15, then you personally will be above reproach. Now watch this. In the middle of the crooked and perverse generation. What? He didn't want them to come off the island of Crete. He doesn't want you to get out of the United States of America. I was at a teacher's, I mean, a, a pastor's conference one time, and I introduced myself to somebody, and somebody said, where are you from? I said, from Massachusetts. Massachusetts? You've got to be kidding me. How can you possibly pastor in Massachusetts? That's what was said. That is the most liberal state. It's the most corrupt state. That's what I was told. I was out in California, interestingly enough. But I'm, so I'm listening. And I'm saying, really, you know, you've got a great state here. Um, but that person wasn't from California, so I couldn't say that. Um, but this is what I did say. What better place to shine as a light? See, he wasn't asking them to get off the island of Crete. He wasn't telling the Philippians to get out of Philippi. He was saying, if you want to be blameless and innocent, this is how you are to live in the middle of it. And then he said, then you will appear, notice the verse, as lights in the world. How? Holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. How is that to be with the Philippians? How is it to be with the Ephesians? How is it to be on the island of Crete? How is it to be in the United States of America? Listen, it is no mistake that you're living right now in this century. God has made it perfect in his plan for you to be here and for me. And he needed them to see that you have a struggle that's going on. God's not done. And you know what? The unsaved are dead to sin, but you are there and are to shine as a light in their place. And as we look at the book of Titus, you can flip back there now, and we look at the environment that they were in. They were in a very corrupt environment. The surrounding circumstances were not good. And Paul, as you remember, was writing to Titus and saying, be alert. Wake up. That's what he was telling them. Do what you're supposed to be doing on the island of Crete. And I would challenge us this way already. We need to wake up to do what we should be doing in the United States of America. You're not going to change the government. You're not going to change the United States of America. You're not going to change Massachusetts. You're not going to change your environment. You're not going to change your work situation unless you shine as a light. And do what you're supposed to be doing. And in chapters 1 and 2 of this book, as we've studied it together, he has gone into the specifics, some about the old people, some about the young, some about the slaves, and then last time. And you notice now as he's winding the book down, coming into the very last chapter of this small book that he's given to use Paul in Titus's life to be a part of the believers there in Crete, the first thing he says to them is, Remind them. 
Paul says, remind them. That's why I just went back over what I just went over. He says, remind them. What is a teacher's job to do? What is the responsibility of Pastor Dan or a teacher that you have in the, in the Christian growth classes or in your small groups or whatever? What is the responsibility? Is it to give you some new thing? You know, that's what Christians are looking for, something new. I got news for you. I got nothing new to say. The 66 books doesn't change, and I thank God it doesn't. We need to be reminded. And a teacher's job is to remind. Isn't that the old rule of any type of education? Repetition, 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 repetition. So it sinks in. So what he's about to say in chapter 3 is not something new. They're in that environment. They're professing believers, and Paul had left Titus there to do a job that he was not doing. And the believers were totally confused. And so now he's going to instruct them. Now I'm going to do something that I normally don't do, if you will, in exegetical teaching, in an exposition of the word. I'm actually going to jump down to the end of what I read, or the middle and end, and then I'm going to come back next week to verses 1 and 2. Why? Because I think that's the key. What was he to remind them of? Before we get into what their life was supposed to be like, I want you to see what he says. Go down to verse 3. And in your outline in the bulletin there, we need to be reminded and refocused on what? Who we were. If you are a professing believer in this room, have you forgotten who you were? Look at verse 3. For we also once were. He wants to remind them, and he wants Titus to go on the island of Crete and say, wait a minute. Don't you remember what you were like? What do you mean? They had forgotten what they were like. They expected the island, people on the island, to change. They expected that environment to change, and they forgot themselves what they were like. What were they like? He tells them. They were foolish. We were foolish ourselves. What's that word foolish mean? Let me make it very simple today as I go through these words. Watch. Foolishness is to be unwise, right? We've studied that in Proverbs. To be foolish is no fear of God. The fool has said in his heart that there is no God. The fool is self-centered. The fool is lazy. The fool has no understanding of the things of God. And he says... Have you forgotten? Remind them that once they were fools without God. Secondly, they were disobedient. Were you and I disobedient to God? Let me make it simple. To authority over us? He's reminding believers. They need to be reminded that you yourselves at one time were foolish. You yourselves were one time disobedient. Three, you at one time were deceived. Your thinking was led astray, if you will. You basically believed a lie. So did I. As an unbeliever, you at one time and I at one time believed a lie. 
We believe that fame and prosperity and getting all you could get out of life was what we should pursue. We did. And there are some that are still thinking that that's the case. And Paul says to Titus, you better remind them that that was their life. Second, next, number four. He says, not only that, he says, they were not just disobedient and deceived, they were enslaved to various lusts and pleasures. Their life was one of slavery. We talk about being a slave of God. We talk about belonging to him. And we need to remember as believers today, at one time we were slaves to lust, that is the desires of the flesh, and pleasure, looking out for nothing but self-satisfaction. And I want to remind us again right now, as he's addressing them on the island of Crete and told Titus to remind them of this, this is where we were, this is where we were. If you know Christ, your life was just giving in to foolishness, following after lies, disobedient to God, enslaved by desires, selfishness. And then he says this, spending our life, how? In malice, envy, hateful, hating one another. This was the norm. The norm for a life of an unbeliever is this, what we're looking at today. Foolishness. They may think they're wise. Remember, the fool thinks they're wise in their own eyes, and they got all the answers. The one that doesn't know God is deceived, even self-deceived. Not following the truth. Enslaved, just doing what comes to give pleasure and doing what comes to satisfies the flesh. And spends the life, the normal life is spent what? In evil, in envy. What does that mean? Let me put it in practical terms when he talks about a life of malice and envy. It's a life that's never satisfied. What about you as a believer? Was that your past? Yes, it was. I hope it's not now. Never satisfied. That's what envy is. Hateful of others who are better, who are being blessed. And even gets down to the line of saying that hateful what? Of one another. Absolute hate. Now we know what the scriptures say to the believer. How can you say you hate a brother and say you love God? When you've seen your brother and you haven't seen God, it's impossible. We can deceive ourselves. He reminds them, have you forgotten who you were? And I think it's good inventory for us. At Crete, in order for them to live a life that would shine as a light and not try to change the community, but to recognize the fact that they need to be changed from the inside out, they needed to live in that environment but remember that I was part of that environment. And if you're a professing Christian today, if you partook of the elements today, one time that was your life, apart from God, without hope. You don't think that's true? Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Let's turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. What's the point? Don't forget where we were. 
I've often heard testimony, and I think we had a couple of them even on the other night, at least one that I remember. Where would we be? This is where we would be, apart from God, going our own way, and who knows what else. Well, 1 Corinthians kind of summarizes a little bit in chapter 6 when we read these words in verses 9 through 11. Look at them. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Then look at the list. Neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And if you stop there, isn't that a picture of the world we're living in? Wasn't it like that on the island of Crete? The answer is yes. And notice what he says in verse 11. And such, what's the next word? Were. Were some of you. But you've been washed. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in the spirit of our God. Go with me to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Look at verses 6 and 7. I'll go back to verse 5. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impure passions, evil desires, greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come on the sons of disobedience, and in them you also once walked. That's where you were when you were living in them. And I won't turn to it, but the book of Ephesians goes on in chapter 4, beginning of verse 17, and goes down through that long laundry list of things. And the point is, that's what our life was. We were just like them. In this environment that we're living in, in the United States, in Massachusetts, in New Hampshire, when we see some of these things, them on the island of Crete, they needed to be reminded, that was your life. You were like them. You were doing what came naturally. You were helpless. You were a sinner. You were without God. Go back to Titus chapter 3. He said, remind them of these things. But, Pastor Stringer used to always say, change of direction. It is. Look at this. What did God do? Look at verses 4 to 7. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, saved us. If you're here today and you've trusted in Christ, God expects you and I to be a light as well. And we need to remember, we need to be reminded, what was our life like before we knew God? And what did it take? He saved us. He delivered us. We escaped, we were lost, we were blind, we were dead, we were in darkness, we were without hope. That's where we were. We were sinners, not qualified for the kingdom of God, separated from God, without hope. And it says that he did something. He saved us. Why did he save us? He tells us. And you notice he saved us. But when the kindness of God 
our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared. A person only gets saved, and if you're here today, you're right, and I'm right. We don't deserve it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. How many times have you quoted that? Whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God so loved the world. God's love for mankind and his kindness, we know what it is. It's goodness, his graciousness. What happened? He had affection toward you and I. And while we're in that lost state, just like those that are around us, in that state, God showed his love and his kindness. It wasn't earned. It was unearned. It was undeserved of me, of you. And we need to remember that. We get so caught up in the world, so caught up in the things that are going on, so caught up in our life that we forget where we were and what God has done. You notice that God, our Savior, and I want you to catch that. It says, when the kindness of God, our Savior. If God isn't your Savior, you don't have a Savior. I've been talking with the, the kids in Fellowship Christian Academy about the deity of Christ. Do you know if you don't understand that Jesus Christ is God, you don't have a Savior? I don't care what you think. You don't have one. Only God can save. You want to see that? Go to Isaiah 43. Isaiah chapter 43. He's talking to the nation of Israel, yes. And as he talks to the nation of Israel in chapter 43, he says, you're my witnesses, verse 10. You're my witnesses. And we talk about that. We're witnessing for Christ. I need to be out witnessing, passing on more tracks, talking to more people. I'm a witness for Christ. Okay, declares the Lord. And my servant whom I have chosen... And we know in the New Testament that believers are a chosen generation as well. So that, and watch this, by the way. Why are we his witnesses? So that we might know and believe and understand who he is. Now watch this. Before me, verse 10, there was no God formed, and there will be none after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and there is what? No Savior besides who? Me. It is I who have declared and saved and proclaimed, and there is no, there was no strange God among you, so you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, who? That I am God. He made it very clear, even Israel. Without God, he has to be the Savior. Are you surprised at this time of year that we read that God became flesh? Was it God with us? Our Savior is God. That's who our Savior is. There is no other Savior. And back in Titus, he says, I want you to remind the people that before they were disobedient, they were foolish, they were deceived, they were without God. However, the kindness of God, his love for mankind, we just read it in John 3.16. Because of his love, God, who is our Savior, he saved us. We didn't. If you're a Christian today, a true Christian, it isn't because of anything you did. It isn't because of anything I've done. It's because of what God has done. He saved us, and he explains it in verse 5. Watch. How did he do it? First, he gives the negative. Not on the basis 
of deeds which we have done in righteousness. It is not based upon good works. If you're here today without Christ, you cannot be saved without God doing the work. It has nothing to do with good works. It has got nothing to do with going to church. It's got nothing to do, listen, with reading your Bible. Some people are reading their Bible as if it's a good work that's going to get them close to God. God says that it's not on the basis of deeds. Does it sound like Ephesians 2, 8, and 9? I think it does. For by grace are ye saved, through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works. Why? Lest anyone could boast. Nobody's going to be able to boast before him. We were all in that condition, and I think the communion service is very appropriate, and it just happened to fall in line with Titus chapter 3 to remind us of where we were and who we are and what God has done and the focus needs to be. It's not righteousness. We have no contribution to our salvation. It was by mercy. Notice that. He says, not on the basis of righteousness, but according to his mercy. What is that? His compassionate feeling. His pity for us, if you will. He had affection. I hope you can see that. God is a God of affection. He's a God of feeling, and he had affection toward mankind. And it was simply out of his mercy and compassion for us that he saved us. You want to see that one? Go to Ephesians chapter 2. Let's go there. We all know 2, 8, and 9. I just quoted it. How often do we concentrate in the verses before it? Let me just read it through. Go back to verse 1 again. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked. How? According to the course of the world. That's the way everybody walks. Island of Crete, same thing. On an island, yes. United States of America, yes. State of Massachusetts, absolutely. Methuen, Salem, New Hampshire, absolutely. According to the prince of the power of the air, who's that? Satan. He's the one that's been allowed, and he's directing people and guiding of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Then he says in verse 3, among them we too, all, not some, there's no exception here. We formerly lived, how? In the lusts of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh. Watch this, and of the mind. What was our nature? Children of wrath, even as the rest. That's where we were. Paul says to Titus, remind them. Then notice this. Isn't it wonderful? Here it is. But God being what? Rich. Boy, do we have a lot to praise God for. But God is rich in mercy. Why? Why was he rich in mercy? Because of his great love. You say, where's the love of God? It's in the person of Jesus Christ. It's in your salvation. It's in my salvation. It's in his sending of his son. Because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, and a dead person can do nothing. Dead where? In our transgressions. What happened? He made us alive together with Christ. 
For by grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us in, with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's where we are. We were sinners. We were lost. We were just like everybody else, but God who's rich in mercy. What else did he do? According to Titus chapter 3, it was according to his mercy, and he did it by the washing of regeneration, by the renewing, by the Holy Spirit. He cleansed us. I won't turn there, but according to Ephesians chapter 5, he uses the word of God. It is the word of God that washes. And what happens? It's a, it's a spiritual washing. It's a cleansing that takes place. This is not talking about baptism like we'll observe next week. No, it's talking about the Holy Spirit. And we know very clearly that that new life and being born again, being born from above, and we will be cleansed with the Holy Spirit, washed. He's the down payment. And God, if you will, he, he gives us an illustration that we can understand that's been washed out of the life. How? By a new life, a regeneration, a new birth. And it happened when the Holy Spirit, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, we were baptized into the body of Christ. And he's poured out this richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. That's who we are. We were lost. We now are saved. And if you come to Christ, and we've had this communion service, he tells Titus, uh, Paul tells Titus, remind them. Next week, we're going to look at what they are supposed to do. But I wanted us to look at first what he's saying, because you can say, yeah, I want to go out and do those things. It's not good works in the sense of salvation. He's going to talk about things that we should do and how we should live in the middle of it. He doesn't tell them to leave Crete. He says, remind them that they were just like everybody else in Crete. But God did something. And aren't you glad he did? He wants to remind us, look, you're in the United States of America. You're in Methuen, Massachusetts, Lawrence, Massachusetts, Andover. You're in Salem, New Hampshire. You're in Wyndham, New Hampshire. You're in Pelham, New Hampshire. And I miss some of the towns of our church. But basically, you're there. You were just like everybody else. But God did something. That's how you were. You're not supposed to be that way anymore. And God did something in your life. And what are you to do? Move out of Pelham? Move out of Salem? Well, if God, now, understand that. If God calls a person and, and leave, causes them to leave and they move geographically because God's called them and he does that, that's not what we're talking about. He wants them to get the idea in Crete. Look at you're in Crete for a reason. You're to shine as a light in the midst of that perversion and that crookedness. You shouldn't have people looking at you and saying, you know what? You're just like everybody else. You complain like they do. You look like they do. You sound like they do. And you add God's name to it. Recently, somebody said to me, Christians are nothing but hypocrites. They say they know God. They tell you how to walk with God. And you talk with them 
and they sound and act just like everybody else. That should never be said of us. God doesn't want to remove us out of the area. He wants us to remember who we were and get back to the simplicity of what God has done. And remember that right now we are his witnesses, good or bad, to the world around us. And your neighbors are watching. And your fellow workers are watching. And those who live in your towns are watching. Are you shining as a light? Those who are on the internet are reading your Facebook. God hears it all. And he wanted Paul to, Paul wanted Titus to see, remind them. I want them to stay there. Remind them that they were like them. But God did something great. And that's going to lead back to verses 1 and 2. Because they were that way, and because God's done something, now here's what I want you to do. Here's how you can shine as a light on the island of Crete. But for that to happen, you need to remember where you came from and what God has done. And I would challenge us this morning that every one of us, as we have observed this communion service, and as believers have partaken, and we talk about the death and burial and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's coming again. Let us remember, that's the purpose of the table. Where we were, what Christ has done. And by that power of the Holy Spirit, might we shine as lights to the community around us. And if you're here without Christ, you're just like everybody else in the world. But you need to come to the one who did something about it. He sent his son to be the only savior. God himself took on flesh so that our lives could be changed, brought from darkness to light, death to life, and God's desire is that you would come to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved yourself. But believers, let's remember. And not just dwell on it and say, oh yeah, where would I be? But now realize who we belong to. And let's shine as lights when we walk out of these doors today in the area that God's placed us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you and praise you for the word of God. I thank you in Paul's writing to Titus in the island of Crete that it has relevance to us today as well. Not just a historical book. Father, often we forget who we were. We talk about it maybe sometimes, but as we go about in the world, we're hoping that the government's going to change, or a town's going to change, or circumstances are going to change. And we forget that the only one that can really change lives is you. And Father, you did that for us, and we thank you and praise you, all of those that are believers today. Help us, Fathers, to shine as lights right where you've placed us. 
Help us to be a testimony for Christ and to be ever thankful for your great mercy, your great love, your tremendous kindness. You've washed us and brought us to regeneration. And I pray that, Father, as we shine as lights, that you would use our lives, you would use the word of God to draw others to Christ as Christ continues to build his church. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.